are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. People have been asking me these last few weeks what it's like to be 60. What does it feel like? And I said, you know, it feels a lot like 59. <laughs> I, I read something this week I liked that said that 60 is the new 40. And uh, I said... Could be, because I think 10 o'clock is the new midnight. There's a lot changing. Yeah. What would you think if I told you that I spent some time with an individual a few months ago? And after spending time in their presence, I felt like I had a better understanding of what God is like. Not because they talked to me about God, but because of what I experienced in their life. What would you think if I told you a few months ago I spent some time with an individual and after spending time in their presence I felt like I had a better understanding of God, not because they talked to me about God, but because of what I experienced in them. I may overquote Mother Teresa, so be it, but she says it another way. Let no one ever come to you without leaving better and happier. Be the living expression of God's kindness. Kindness in your face, kindness in your eyes, kindness in your smile. Be the living expression of God's kindness. Kindness in your face, kindness in your eyes. Kindness in your smile. So I'm kind of going somewhere with this, obviously. And where I'm going is I want to ask you how you would describe yourself. Or maybe it's better to say, how do you see yourself? You wouldn't describe yourself to somebody this way, maybe. But to borrow words from Jesus, do you see yourself as salt and light? In other words, when people come into your presence... Do they get a taste and catch a glimpse of God? I'm going to ask you again. When people are with you, do you think they get a taste and catch a glimpse of God's love? You might say, oh, oh Rick, I'm, I'm a part of this great Christian community, and I think God's love is just flowing all among... No, let, let me press you a bit, okay? Let's talk about people who do not profess to be Christian. When people who do not profess to be Christian spend time with you, do they get a taste and catch a glimpse of God's love? See, I think there's a problem. I think you think there's a problem. I think almost everybody believes there's a problem. And what I've been trying to do lately is to try to understand what the problem actually is. So, so is the problem that people are sinful and, and far from God and just have no regard for God, is that the problem that people are just kind of like, you know... They're just sinful, they're just far from God, they just have no regard for God, or is this the problem? 
that Christians are not exposing people to God's love. Is, is that really the problem? Do you understand what I'm asking? So is, is what's broken and wrong in this world the fact that people are just sinful and they're far from God and they just have no regard for God or His Word or anything else? Or is the problem that people like you and me are just not exposing people to God's love? Because here's what I'm convinced of in the Scripture this morning. Completely convinced of. And, and that is simply this, that Jesus fully intends for you and I to expose people to God's love. That, that Jesus fully intends for people to experience God's love through you and me. That's what I believe. And so I find it in the book of Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5, verse 13, if you'd like to open your Bibles there with me. So let me just say this to you. Do, you. do you ever feel like that there are verses of Scripture that you know so well from your heart that the words have become too familiar to the point that maybe they don't have the meaning they once had to you? For example, this passage, I can loosely quote it. I won't get it word for word from the NIV, but it goes something like this. You are the salt of the world. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's good for nothing but to be trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither would you light a lamp and put it under a bushel or a bucket. No, you put it on a stand so it would give light to everybody in the house. So therefore, let your light so shine before men that they would see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, there's the scripture for today. But it's kind of familiar, those words. And so I thought I would give them to you in other words. I thought I would go to Eugene Peterson and give them to you from him. Okay? So here's what Jesus says to us in Eugene Peterson's translation in the message. Let me tell you why you are here. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness. You'll end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You are here to be light, bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this. As public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you there on a hilltop... On a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God. This generous Father who is in heaven. And so this is God's word for us today. I remember one Sunday morning, like, like today... I was living in Cincinnati at the time, and I preached. And after I preached, I was uh, kind of down front uh, talking to some folks. And there was a guy who was a part of our congregation. He's a friend. He's a very lighthearted guy. In fact, maybe uh, too lighthearted sometimes. You're, you're kind of like, do you ever get serious, you know? But that morning, he was serious. He waited. He waited for me to finish talking with somebody else and then somebody else. And finally, I went over to him, and I said, what's up? 
He looked very downcast. I think he looked actually depressed. I wasn't for sure what he was going to tell me. And he just said, it's, it's the sermon. And I said, what is it about the sermon? And he says, you know, I, I love my job. You know, I love my job. I talk about my job. I love the people I work with. We have a, a great time. He said, but I don't, I don't think they have any idea that I go to church. In fact, I think if I told them I went to church, they would be surprised. He said, I don't feel like I'm any, any different from the people at my work who don't profess to be Christian. It's like there's no difference in me and in them. And as we talked, he was coming to this point of realization that I think I'm supposed to be salt and light. I think people are supposed to be getting a taste of God. I think people are supposed to be catching a glimpse of God because I'm around them. In fact, maybe that's why I'm there. But I don't think that's happening. I don't think they're getting any taste or any glimpse of God's love. In other words, I don't think I'm making any difference in anybody's life at my work. And I think he was coming to this place of reality of saying, I'm not being who I'm supposed to be. And so when I read these words, they get my attention because he doesn't say it one way. He says it another way. Jesus says, you know, uh, not something like... Uh, you should be salt, and you should be the light of the world. He, de he doesn't say that. He doesn't say, like, uh, you ought to be the salt of the earth, and you ought to be the light. No, he, de he doesn't go there. He doesn't say, um, you really need to be the, the light of the world. You need to be the salt of the earth. No, no, he says, you are. You are the salt of the earth. I'm talking to all of you right here, because in the Sermon on the Mount... Jesus is talking to believers about what a believer's life should look like. And he says, you are the salt of the earth and you are the light of the world. You say, Rick, what does that mean? It means that we don't have a backup plan. It means that you are the team that we are putting on the field this Sunday. You're the starters. You and I, this is what he's got. It's not like somebody else can just come in and take care of it. But here's, here's the struggle. He goes to this heavy place. Um, I'm going to reach the world. I'm going to change lives. I'm going to put hope in people's hearts. And we're going to do it through you. But he goes to this heavy place and he says, but if, if the salt, and I'm, I'm just going to point because you are the salt, I'm the salt. If the salt loses its saltiness, what, what if I lose my saltiness? Or if you put a bowl over the light, or a bucket, or a bushel, how, how will people taste? And how will people catch a glimpse of godliness? 
and God's love, then how is any of that going to happen? And so what, what he seems to be saying is that it is possible to lose our saltiness and to put a shadow over our light. So there's a question I've been dealing with in my head and I wrote it down because I thought it might be better if you could see it in print. And it's simply in first person because I want you to ask it like I've been asking it. Am I choosing the direction of my life? Or am I simply accepting the life I'm living? So I think you can apply it pretty broadly. When you think about your life today, when you think about your life today, can you just kind of ask this question, am I choosing the direction of my life? Or am I simply accepting the life that I'm living? Am I saying, you know, I, I believe this is where God is leading me and I believe this is where my life should go and that's why I'm going this direction? Or am I just drifting along and I've kind of drifted and one day I looked in the mirror and I said, I guess I'm here. Okay. I guess this is the life I'm living now. So am I making conscious choices about the direction of my life? Or have I just drifted to where I'm at now? And one day I looked in the mirror and said, Okay, I guess, I guess this is the life I'm living right now. This is where I've ended up somehow. And I think that's the heart of Jesus' words in Matthew 5.13. So, I remember when I was a little boy... And I was in church, and we had a traveling preacher come through. And I love traveling preachers because they tell great stories. And, and I remember one of the traveling preachers told a, a story about a little boy and was either on a bus or a boxcar of a train. I, can't re I mean, a, a passenger car of a train. I can't really remember the, the details that well. I was small. But he talked about a little boy on the bus or the train, whichever it was, and he had a box of peaches, and he was trying to sell peaches, but nobody was buying his peaches. Peaches for sale. Anybody want to buy a peach? He's, he's in the front of the boxcar and he's standing there with the box peaches in front of him trying to sell his peaches and nobody is taking. Sir, would you like to buy a peach? Ma'am, would you like to buy a peach? Nobody's wanting to buy a peach. And finally, an older man stands up over the boy, behind the boy, and he hands him money and he says, Son, I'll, I'll buy one of your peaches. And then the old man pulls out a pocket knife and he stands there and he begins to peel the peach. And, and as he begins to peel the peach, the juice from the peach begins to drip from the man's hand and fall onto the floor. And then the man finally cut a wedge out of the peach, and he took that sweet, juicy peach, and he put it in his mouth. And when he put it in his mouth and he tasted it, he closed his eyes and he shook his head back and forth as he chewed. And then he cut off another wedge, and he put that in his mouth. And as he chewed, he just... And before long, everybody on the bus wanted a peach. I kind of get it. I was in the break room the other day with Pastor Jake, and he said, you want a cookie? And I said, no, I don't want a cookie. I'm eating better these days, you know. Not really. And he takes a bite, and just as soon as he gets a bite of cookie in his mouth, he goes, mmm, that is so good. I said, what is it? He said, chocolate chip, but caramel, I think, too. He finishes the cookie, and he goes for another one. 
And I said, just give me a cookie. (laughs) Do you think we make people hungry for God? I understand the old man making people hungry for a peach and Jake making me hungry for a cookie. But do you think that we make people hungry for God? I was reading recently and someone was talking about, do we make people hungry or angry? As Christians in the world living among non-Christians, do we make people who aren't yet Christians hungry or do we make them angry? And I think our defensiveness sometimes would say, I can't help it if they get angry. But you probably could help it. probably could. I think the Holy Spirit sets us up to make people hungry. Because when you become a Christian, what are you filled with the Spirit, right? You receive the Holy Spirit when you believe, right? And what are the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace. Who wouldn't want to hang out with somebody that's full of love and joy and peace? I mean, who wouldn't be attracted to people like that? Who wouldn't be attracted to people who are full of goodness and gentleness? I mean, in the world today that we live in, don't you think people would be attracted to people who are full of goodness and gentleness? And think about this, self-control. I mean, in a world that's reacting today, wouldn't you be drawn to people who are, you know, full of self-control? Unless... Unless what? I don't want to say it. See, I think that this whole thing about salt, it makes us hungry, right? So when I think about salt, here are the things that I think about. I think about popcorn, I think about mixed nuts, and I think about pretzels. I love them all, but I don't want any of them without salt. Do you? And I think it's the salt that keeps me just going back and going back and going back, right? I think salt makes me hungry for more. Salt makes me hungry. And I think that's what Jesus has in mind when he talks about salt. That when people taste God, when people catch a glimpse of God by looking at our lives, they should become hungry, right? Unless, unless what, Rick? Go ahead and say it. I don't want to say it. Unless we lose our saltiness. Unless we ask ourselves, like my friend, I don't know that I'm making a difference at all in my world. You know, it was right before he died that uh, Billy Graham said to a trusted friend, he said to him, don't let anything in your, don't let anything rather you do or say, shut the door from someone knowing Jesus. Don't let anything that you do. These are good words for us today, are they not? Don't let anything that you do, don't let anything that you say shut the door from someone knowing Jesus. And so when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, not you should be, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill, how in the world could you hide it? You can't. It's impossible. If you build a city on the hill, everybody's going to see it. And I think what he's saying is, people are watching you. Well, I don't like that. It doesn't matter if you don't like it. It's still true. But I don't want that kind of responsibility. You still have it. You understand, when Jesus gives us this message, uh, His world was Palestine 2,000 years ago. 
A house was built out of mud bricks. It was about 18 square feet. It had one window, a dirt floor, and it had a lamp. The lamp looked like this. It was an earthen bowl with oil filled in it and then a floating wick. And he said, when you light that lamp, would you put it under a bowl, a larger one? No. You're going to put it on a stand. It's going to give light to everybody in the house. Well, you should let your light shine. You should open up to others and let them see Jesus in you. And so we constantly talk about living with our arms open. I think that's what Jesus is talking about. You wouldn't, you wouldn't go just hide this great news about Jesus, would you? You wouldn't just go cover it up, would you? No, you're going you're gonna to open up to people, right? We're going to live like this. Come on. Be a part of my life. Come on. You can be with me. I'm watching a family do it right now in my church. I'm watching a family live like this to a young man. They're just saying, come on. You can be with us. Come on. And he said, okay. And they've just lived like this. And it's having a tremendous impact on his life. And I believe it's going to have an eternal difference. And so there's a prayer that I'm always challenging you to pray. A prayer that we wrote a while back because we believed God was leading us in this direction. And it's the open arms prayer. And it simply says, Father, would you bring somebody into my life today? But give me the wisdom to recognize them. We pray this because we believe God's bringing people into our lives every day. Give me the wisdom to recognize them and then give me the grace to open my arms to them and to say, come on. We can eat together. We can talk together. We can spend time together. We can go to church together. You can be a part of what my life is about and what I do. Come and be with me. So let me, let me close with this. I was listening to John Maxwell preach or teach maybe a few while back. And, and he told a story about uh, he was pastoring a, a church in California called Skyline Wesleyan Church. And, and uh, you probably know of him maybe more because of his, his many books on leadership and, and his teaching on leadership. But he said, I had this lady in my church who came up to me one Sunday and she said, I, I know you're very busy, but my brother, he's, um, he's very sick. He's in the hospital. I don't think he's going to make it. Um, and I was wondering if maybe you might go see him. And so uh, he said, yes, I, I'll, I'll go see your brother. And so he says, I'd, I go to the hospital in the next day or whatever, and I visit her brother. We talked for a while. I prayed with him. We had a good conversation. And he says to me, John, um, I, uh, I don't go to church, but um, I kind of like you. I'll tell you what I'm going to do. When I get out of this hospital, I'm going to go to church. I'm coming to your church with my sister. And John Maxwell said, however, that night, he died. He said, I remember standing with his sister at the funeral, and she said to me, my brother really liked you, John. 
You know, he told me he was going to come to church with me when he got out of the hospital because he, he connected with you. And she said, you're such a compassionate pastor. And he said, I thought to myself, I'm really not. I'm really busy with this church, but I'm not very compassionate, especially about people who don't know Jesus. He said, it shook me that he died not knowing Jesus. He, he has a long story about the direction of his life changing. He no longer pastors a church. He teaches leadership because he says, in doing that, I gain an audience with people from every walk of life, not just people who stumble into a church. And they ask me sometimes, John, where are you getting this stuff that you're teaching? He said, the truth is, everything that I teach comes out of the Bible. Everything I teach. And he said, the Lord has allowed me to see many people come to know Jesus. I, I think it's a story about a pastor who said, I lost my saltiness. I don't think people were seeing my light. It was covered over. And God spoke to me about it. He said, well, what should we do, Rick? We should pray that prayer. I, I, think, I think there is a to-do, but I think it's more about who we are than what we do. I think it's asking ourselves the question, when people who don't yet know Jesus hang around us, do they get a taste of God's love? When people who don't know Jesus spend time with us, do they catch a glimpse of God's holiness? After hanging out with us, do they leave scratching their head, a little confused and wondering, what is it about that person that is different? Why is it that I feel like my life is lacking something? Salt. And light. So I wondered if we could do this together. Bow our heads. In a minute there will be a song. But I feel more like in this moment that it would be good if we could just kind of be quiet before the Lord. Because I think prayer is both about listening and talking. And to eliminate one from the other is not good. So maybe just listen for a minute. And maybe if there's something you feel like you ought to say to God, then say it. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.